If you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you're new to us today, my name is Dave Furman, and for the past two months, we've been looking at Jesus' most famous words on the Sermon on the Mount. But before we jump in, I just want to make really three brief announcements of sorts. First of all, I just want to let you know some, some good news. We've been praying. If you've been with us since February, you know that we've been praying that the Lord would continue to allow us to meet here in this facility here at the Marriott. I just want to tell you some, some great news, and we want to give God the praise this morning, but we received just last night approval to meet here at the Marriott for the next three months. So we're, we're thrilled we're excited, and we, we praise God for the government. We praise God for the Marriott. And so we'll be here next Friday in the same place at the same time. Also, secondly, uh, maybe you received an email, or maybe you just saw it in the bulletin this morning, but our Redeemer music team has just come out with our first Redeemer music album, The Everlasting God. And we're, we're super excited about it. Many of the songs Glenn and Donnie have, have written, our music team has performed. And so we, we want you to have that. It really is as an opportunity for you to, to worship God outside Friday morning with some of the songs that were written and came out of our community here at Redeemer. So you can download uh, that um, and, and listen to the songs. Also, if you see Akilah after the service, He's been doing an excellent job working as our sound engineer. Go up. I've heard a rumor that he loves hugs. So give him a hug. He's worked hours behind the scenes and making sure this album uh, comes uh, together. So thank him. We're thankful uh, for all those who have worked on it. And finally, just want to let you know just a prayer request for me and some of our other staff who are heading to Lebanon this weekend. So Pastor Scott, myself, Mike Mathis, and Johan, who work with our youth, we're going to head out to Beirut uh, later on this afternoon to be with Marwan and Marcy Abozolov and celebrate with them as they've launched City Bible Church this past month. And we want to just be an encouragement to them, see the church, see their facility. We also are going to get to see Corsair Vining. Many of you know she served with our youth for a number of years here. So we're going to see her and, and many of the kids that she works with, the street kids there outside of Beirut. And we look forward to being encouraged by them as we're encouraged, or hopefully encouraging them as well. So pray for that trip that the Lord would move in and through us. Well, if you were with us last week as we kind of jump into text now, we finished a section called the Beatitudes. That's the context for the verses we're going to look at today. Remember, the Beatitudes were bookended by the phrase, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That means everything in between those verses in the text describes what citizens of the kingdom look like. Christians are poor in spirit. They're saved by grace. They mourn their sin. They're meek and humble. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They see it like food and drink. They're going to die if they don't get it. They extend mercy because they've received mercy from God. They're pure in heart. And they understand that as a Christian, we've all received a calling to be a peacemaker between God and man and between fellow men. And they know that when you take the gospel to the world you can expect suffering. So now after that introduction, after the introduction to the sermon, Jesus comes to what may, may be the most central part of the sermon, or at least the equivalent to his thesis statement. 
If you're a follower of Christ, you will live out these beatitudes in your life. And out of necessity, this will produce a witness to the coming kingdom. And here's the main point this morning. If you're taking notes, just one overarching point. It's this. A Christian's mission is to be distinct from the world and a blessing to the world. We'll break that up into two points. Christians are, number one, to be distinct from the world, and number two, a blessing to the world. So first, we're distinct from the world. Jesus uses two pictures from everyday life to portray a Christian. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. That you is emphatic here. It means you and you alone. Those who've been changed by the gospel are salt and light. Notice he's not saying Christians become salt and light. He's not commanding you to strive toward these things. It's, it's not for us to decide whether or not we want to be salt or light. Jesus is saying, if you're a disciple of Christ, you will be salt and light. This is who you are. It's a statement of fact. And you're not just salt in the home or salt in the street or light in the city. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You, all of you, every single man, woman, and child who is in Christ. Not just the pastors or the community group leaders or the older youth, the elderly who've been walking with Jesus for decades. You, all of you believers, are salt and light to the world. Well, the main thing about salt and light is that they're distinct from the world. They're distinct from what's around it. Think about salt. We're familiar with salt because we add it to our food. It brings out natural flavors. Salt is also a preservative. In these days, there was no refrigeration no freezers. The only way to preserve food was to rub salt in it. It delays decay. We still see it today in biltong, a South African delicacy. Small, thin strips of meat are salted and dried. It preserves so well, you can keep that snack around forever. One interpretation of this metaphor is that there's a sense that Christians have a preserving or positive effect on a society that seems to be getting worse. Ultimately, it's difficult to discern exactly what Jesus is getting at by using salt as a metaphor. There are over 40 different biblical references to salt, and there's no common theme among them. One scholar says there are at least 11 different interpretations given for salt in this one passage alone. Now, I'm grateful for these scholars who've written so much about salt. They've certainly expanded my knowledge of it this week. I'm forever in their debt for teaching me more about salt than I ever dreamed of knowing. And yet, even after that, I still don't know exactly what Jesus has in mind here. Some say it's best not to single out any one meaning and to allow multiple aspects to inform us. I think a key to understanding it is when Jesus says that salt has lost its taste. He's referring to the salt we put on food. Salty food is distinct from unsalted food. Salt is essentially different from whatever it's placed on. The very character of salt shows a difference. A Christian is distinct. Whatever the salt represents, Jesus is saying, when Christians stop being distinct, they're of no value to the world. When disciples start looking like the world, they lose their effect effectiveness 
in the world. When disciples start looking like the world around them, they lose their effectiveness in the world. I think that's the point. I think the point is that salt is different. And it's a warning that a Christian must be different. If salt has lost its character, the thing that makes it salt would have no value. Now, the salt that we have today is different than in Jesus' day. They didn't start with it in a salt shaker like we do. It wasn't a distilled white substance. What you'd have is a big mineral deposit, and you'd have to distill it and leach and get the salt out. You'd take the other minerals and put them in a pile. Eventually, you got all the salt out, and that pile lost its taste. There was no more salt, therefore you can't make it salty again. You just throw it out in the street to be trampled under people's feet because there's no use for it. Jesus is saying that if his followers are indistinguishable from the world, they lose their effectiveness in the world. Redeemer Church, are you distinct from the world? Is your life any different from others? How about one example? How about your words? Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, let your words be gracious, seasoned with salt. Your words, both in content and manner, should be obviously distinct from the world. Are your words gentle, thankful, gracious? Do they build up or do they tear down? Can the world see this in what you post on social media? Do you stand out as being distinctly Christian by your comments? Salt is different. One way we display this is through what we say and what we write. However, the salt metaphor doesn't stand alone. It's a parallel statement to a much clearer and more central metaphor of light. Verses 13 and 14 are conceptually parallel. They begin with identical phrases. The two metaphors seem to build on each other. With the second one on light, emphasized. It's clear, it's expanded on. You are the light of the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that verse 14 is one of the most astounding and extraordinary statements about the Christian that was ever made, even by our Lord. It's amazing. Jesus is saying, you, all of you, Christians, you are the light in this sin-darkened world. If you've ever been driving in a really dark place, you know how comforting it is when you finally see a street light or the lights on in a house. Or you're stumbling around the kitchen before sunrise, you turn on the light to make sure you don't step on one of those lethal Lego pieces. <laughs> Have you ever stepped on a Lego? It's, it's, it's horrible. I've almost gone to the hospital after stepping on one of those it hurts. Light helps you see the Legos. It shows you things as they really are. It keeps you safe. Light also reveals evil. If you turn on the light, the cockroaches run and hide. Sin and evil thrives in the dark. There are certain places in this world you would never willingly go at night. And we tend to want to keep sin hidden in the dark. And when we do, it just multiplies and multiplies. Well, in our text, Jesus is saying that a Christian is light. We show truth, reveal evil. We make things better. We have to do this because a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Jesus expands the light metaphor. He compares a city on a hill to a lamp under a basket. The point is, both are impossible. A city on a hill can be seen for kilometers away. You can't hide a whole city. I remember 10 years ago when we were working on planting Redeemer Church of Dubai. Our family, we lived in Barami, Oman, and what we would do is we would drive up each weekend and we would come to Dubai, we would make connections, build friendships, cast vision for a new church plant. Well, we made plans every Thursday night to drive up to Dubai for that weekend. And we knew when we were getting closer to the city. We knew when we were approaching the city because there was a glow in the sky. It wasn't so much a physical hill, but with the skyscrapers, you could see the city from far away. You can't hide a city. (laughs) And the image of a, a lamp here under a basket was also a familiar one in Jesus' day. There was no electricity. So during the evening, if you wanted any light, you'd have to light a lamp fueled by olive oil. And the lamp would have had a wick similar to a candle. Jesus says, you don't go through all that trouble to light a lamp only to put it under a basket. I mean, who does that? That's crazy talk. Why would anyone light a lamp only to not use the lamp? So the metaphor goes, if the disciples are the light of the world, it would be silly to, silly to hide the lamp. You can't. If you're distinct, you're different. You're noticeable. But consider something else that this metaphor of being like a city and a lamp implies. Jesus doesn't say we're like the sun or the stars. He doesn't say that because the sun and the stars have a light in themselves. They're the source of light. Instead, Jesus says you're like the lights in a city or like a lamp. A lamp can't produce light. They only hold the light. We're the light of the world, but we're only the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world. The light we have is Jesus in us. These two statements must be taken together. John 3 says that the light, meaning Jesus, has come into the world. And then it can't get any clearer than John chapter 8, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's how you get the light. It's Jesus. The Christian can only be the light of the world because of their relationship with the light of the world. We can't produce light. We can only hold light. Well, how do we shine brighter and brighter? Here's a revolutionary thought on shining the light. You want to start a revolution? Well, get out your Bible and read it and make a prayer list and pray. You want to make an impact? Do that every day for the rest of your life. Lives will change. Your life and those you interact with. Everyone wants to change the world, but it has to start with God changing you. Get close to the brightest light and you will shine. He's the only one who can make you shine. Think again what Jesus is saying when he says he's the light. He's not saying I'm one of the lights. You can pick and choose. He's saying I'm the light. He clarifies elsewhere in the same gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, following Jesus is the only way to be saved from the due penalty of our sins against a holy God. 
Every other religion has a leader who says, I'm a guru, I'm a prophet, I'm a teacher, I'm a priest. But Jesus says, I'm not just a prophet. I am God in the flesh. I'm not just pointing to the light. I am the light. If we look back at the book of Isaiah, we see that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come as light. He would come as a light for the nations, bringing salvation. And throughout the Bible, light refers to the truth. The truth illumines. And Jesus is saying, I am that light. This is an enormous claim. So you can't step back and say that Jesus was a wonderful prophet or a good teacher. As C.S. Lewis famously said in his book, Mere Christianity, either Jesus is Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. He's crazy. Those are our choices. There's no other way. And Jesus says, I am Lord. That was his claim. And Jesus proved he wasn't a liar and he proved he wasn't a lunatic when he marched to the cross to die for his people's sins. And he proved it when on the third day he rose victorious from the dead. Hundreds of eyewitnesses saw Jesus. That grave was empty. The resurrection is key to our faith because if that grave was empty, then we must believe everything Jesus said. We must believe that God's word is true. There's no alternative. If Jesus rose from the grave, you can't say Jesus was a nice person, but not divine. He can't just be a nice guy or a good teacher. If he rose from the dead, he is the light of the world. And friend, the only way to be saved, the only way to be in the light, to be a light yourself, is to turn to this light in faith. Before you can be the light of the world, you have to ask yourself, has God given me the light? Am I the light of the world? Have I become a follower of Christ? If your answer is no, turn to him. Don't live in darkness. Jesus is a solution to all your problems, all your anxieties. Living without him is like living in a pitch black room. You have no direction, no peace. And when you turn to him, light enters that room and you can see his beauty and purpose for your life. When we come to him, we become like the moon. We don't have light ourselves. We get it from the sun. In our case, we reflect the light of the sun, the S-O-N, sun. And then and only then can we be a blessing to the world. And that's the second point. We've seen how we as Christians are to be distinct from the world, number one. Number two, we're to be a blessing to the world. And the climax of this section comes in verse 16. You might even say this is the key verse of the entire Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is a charge to Christians to be salt, to be light in the world. Here's how you do it. Verse 16. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christian, Christian, shine the light you already are to the world. Jesus says to be a Christian is to be on mission. 
there aren't a few Christians on mission to the world and other Christians doing something else. The point is that it's ridiculous to think that a Christian can live a secluded life. A Christian can't be hidden. He's a light on a stand so that everyone can see. She's a city on a hill. There's no such thing as an invisible Christian. It's not whether your light is shining. A light has to shine. That's what a light is. The command here is specific. It's to what extent it's shining and where it's shining, the manner it's shining. How are we to shine the light? We're to shine it before men. We live reflecting the light of Christ in a way that's seen by others. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Dave, now, Pastor, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about what Jesus says later in chapter 6? Good observation. In chapter 6, verse 1, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others. Now, aren't those contradictory statements? Right, Right here, Jesus says, shine your light. And then essentially he says, beware of shining your light before others. But here's the key difference. In chapter 6, the context is hypocrisy. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others. Why? Well, it's if your motive is to be praised by others. Later, he says, beware of how you give and how you pray and how you fast so as to not do those things to be seen by others. Jesus says something very different here. He doesn't say, shine your light so that you may be praised by others or seen by others or get fame or money or anything else. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And here's the key. So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, glorify our Father who is in heaven. But you see the difference. You're not doing it for you. That's what's distinct about the Christian. It's about heart motivation. The aim of our good works isn't to parade our own virtue, but to direct attention to the God who inspired them. Our works should put Jesus on display. Friends, Does your life stand out for being beautiful in comparison with the world? Is it distinct in any way from the world around you? Does it bring joy to people? Is it salty? Redeemer Church, this is our task. This is the central charge of the Sermon on the Mount. This is our mission. Are we doing this? Are we doing this? How do we do this? Well, there are many things I could talk about, many ideas I could give us in application after a text like this. What I want to do, though, is I want to leave us with five ways, five distinct, five countercultural ways that we as a church can let our light shine before others. So five things. Number one, suffer well in the big things 
and in the small things. Suffer in the big, suffer in the small. We can shine our light by having peace and joy in the midst of suffering. Last week, I watched one of our members, Prossy Lim, go through a serious cancer surgery. My wife and I and some of our elders prayed for her the day before the surgery, and she was strong. She was trusting that God is good and in control. And then I went to visit her in the hospital as soon as I got done preaching last Friday afternoon. She wasn't lamenting the permanent result or the pain or the recovery. She was grateful that she was alive and she was giving God the glory. It was stunning. <coughs> it was real. I marveled at the beauty of her faith. I left wanting to be more like Prosty as I go through my own suffering. How do we win the world to Christ? We win the world by being different from it, by rejoicing in suffering because we live not for this world, but for the one to come. This comes in the big things like cancer surgery, but it also comes when we're wronged or face inconveniences in the little things. This is being nice to the server at the restaurant when they mess up our order. And the world yells at them. But you know as a Christian, it's not the end of the world if they put cheese on your food when you didn't want it. And the world isn't going to explode with a little cheese. <laughs> I promise. Life won't end. If you can't eat dairy, that's okay. Just tell them graciously and patiently. They'll be stunned that you were so kind. Being a light means we drive on the roads with patience. I'm going to move on because that's way too convicting. You can let your light shine by having faith in both the fruitful and the difficult financial times. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We trust that God will provide what we need to live, whether it's a lot or a little. We learn how to trust God. We don't know how he'll provide or when or how much, but we know he will. Christians shine a light by suffering well in the big things and the small things. Number two, you can let your light shine by humbly admitting your weakness and need. Another way we're distinct from the world is letting our light shine by admitting weakness. This is countercultural and shocking. This reminds me of a time when Tom Samuel, a church elder at the time, and his wife Padmini stood up at, a, at an evening worship gathering and they shared what God was teaching them in their marriage. They asked for prayers, they worked through marriage issues. It was stunning to see this leader admit his need. Now, it's not surprising because all of us need grace. All of us are a work in progress. All of us are struggling through life. But to say it, to say it publicly, that's salt. That's light. I love the humility of both Bevan John and Biju John, two men who've grown up in the church. Both humbled themselves to come to our church to become interns 
so that they could be trained by pastors younger than them and then to go study at the Gulf Training Center. They said, I know we've been churched, but we need to learn how to serve in a healthy church. That's countercultural. It's stunning. It's beautiful. Well, shining our light before others means apologizing when we're wrong. And that sounds simple. But how hard is it for many of us to say those little words? I'm sorry. This past week, one brother in our church made a mistake in his work and in humility, he went to each of the parties involved and apologized profusely. He owned it. He owned his mistakes and he's working to earn their trust. Christians make it a practice to admit sin, mistakes, and weakness. That's salt. That's light. Well, number three, we support our coworkers even at a cost to ourselves. We're a blessing in the workplace. Even when the profits aren't high and the hours are long, we treat our coworkers and employees and bosses with respect and love because we have a master in heaven. A Christian doesn't use his workplace to build his CV and get ahead. He or she seeks to make the company and office a better place. It's helping a colleague get a promotion, even if it hurts your career. It's honestly desiring the ambition of others. It's like Paul doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Are you doing that at work? Friend, are you a light in your workplace? When you come in, does it add beauty to everyone and everything? Are your coworkers thrilled when you're around? Now, if you want ideas on how to be a light in the workplace, read the new book, Joyfully Spreading the Word. It's on our bookstall. Our very own Happy Cambule wrote a great chapter on witness in the workplace in that book that I highly commend to you. Number four, serve the church in sacrificial ways. Serve the body of Christ sacrificially. A little salt and a little light can be used by God. But imagine if we get the light together, we get the salt together. If you have a distinctly Christian community living this out together, imagine. The church is not a club. It's a new humanity. It's the bride of Christ. It's a community on mission together. And it looks beautiful when that happens. I mean, I'm thankful for all our Redeemer Kids volunteers who are on mission sharing the gospel with our children. 90 minutes is a long time to invest in a group of kids in one setting. Thank you for teaching our children the gospel and coming alongside parents in our discipleship of our children. We don't see what's going on down there while we're up here, but God does. God does. But we do see the fruit as we talk to our kids about Jesus. Thank you. And as you parents go down to get your kids in in a few minutes, be sure to thank those volunteers who have been down there with our kids today. We're grateful for them. Well, here's what Salt and Light is. It's our setup team getting up before the crack of dawn to get everything ready for us here on Friday. For most of them, they've worked a long week and it's their first, maybe their only day off. But Jonathan, Justin, and the whole crew give up the last bit of their energy so that we can worship here corporately. 
A distinctly Christian community also spends time discipling one another. And being a multi-ethnic church is not just having a room full of different nationalities on Friday morning, but it's a community who gets into each other's lives. It's Carol Dyson who for years has been crossing cultures to meet the new person at Redeemer and is always looking to plug people into our community. It's a 40-year-old Kenyan man discipling a 50-year-old Indian and studying Colossians together. It's a group of teachers waking up early for Bible study together at their school. That's distinct. That's beautiful. Number five, talk about Jesus with all kinds of people. The light shining Christian shows the hope they have with the people they meet along the way. I often think about taxi drivers when I think about this. I don't know if you know this, you may, but taxi drivers and Uber drivers in our city work 365 days a year. No days off. None. If they drove you to church this morning, they can never go to church themselves. They were driving you here. Have you thought about that? As a Christian, you're the closest they'll get to the church. And you may be the only Christian who climbs into their car ever. Now, this last week, our member Sharon Johns was in a taxi and she felt like she should share the gospel with the driver, but she didn't. She was convicted. She was upset at her silence. But then the very next day, she's been upset about this. She's been regretting this. She's been repenting over this. So the very next day, miraculously, she gets into a taxi and guess what? It was the same driver, the very same driver. Now, this never happens. I've been taking taxis for years because I can't drive, and I've never gotten the same driver. There are thousands of taxis in Dubai, but there he was. Sharon opens the door, and he was there. And this time, Sharon shared the gospel. Isn't God kind I was so motivated by Sharon's boldness that I immediately thought about how I can do the same the next time I'm in a taxi. The church doesn't need a grand scheme or program for evangelism. It's just noticing the people who are around you. It's acknowledging their existence. It's talking about Jesus with all kinds of people. It's Marilyn Takula going out with others at the Mall of the Emirates and Al Guerrero Center this week to make friends and look for gospel opportunities. It's a man in our church who's translating the whole book, What is the Gospel, into Malayalam when he had a Malayali friend who needed to learn the gospel. It's our university students inviting the friend they sit next to in class to come to Bible discussion with them. It's Brad Klein. I always find myself making new friends when I'm with him because he greets everyone he sees. Everyone is a friend to Brad. This reminds me of some dear friends of our family who do presentations on this, who talk about being a light to the world. And when they get up on stage, they have a big poster. It's turned around backwards. And on the poster, they say that they have the key to starting to letting your light shine before others. The key is right on the back of that poster. They have it written down. They say, this is how you can be a blessing to the nations. They go through the whole presentation and then they say, here's the key to being a light to the nations. It's revolutionary. It can change everything. And then the suspense is just building up and building up and they get to the end. Finally, they turn the poster around. 
and on it is a mere five letters. Hello. Hello. Friends, in whatever language you speak, your hello could be the spark that lights a fire that lights up that person's life with the light of Christ. Oh, Redeemer, pray for the faith you need to say hello. It's a small word, but oh, how we need the faith to do this and to let our light shine. All of us can bring light into the world. One author said that when there's complete darkness, you don't need a mega spotlight. A small light bulb will do. A candle lights a dark room. My friend, you may not feel like a mega light. Maybe you don't feel like you understand theology or the Bible as well as someone else. Maybe you feel like a new believer. Maybe you feel like you don't have it all together. But I want you to know something. I want you to know that your little light can impact the world. I want you to know that you can be the salt of the earth. You can be the light of the world. Oh, Redeemer Church, let your light shine before others so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for sending the light into the world. Thank you that he came into the world to light up our hearts. Oh, would we live in such a way that our good works will lead people to you? Would you get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise from our lives? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.